It's time for episode 300 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 26th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the only tech podcast running on a single button battery. I am one of your co-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, good buddy, and good co-host, it's Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. I'm glad to know I'm good at so many things. And so good. I am so glad that we're here for episode 300. Beow, beow, beow. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Of course, this is also the time where we say hello to our awesome guests. To my left, it's filmmaker and co-host of Defocused on the Incomparable. Hello, Dan Sturm, and welcome back. Hello, and thank you for having me back again. Happy to have you here. And to my left, it's a professional writer and talker at App Launch Map and the co-host of Originality right here on Relay FM. It's Aline Sims. Welcome back, Aline. Hello. So I have a question. Are you going to do some kind of awesome clockwise blowout for episode 360? Because I think... <laughs> oh, that's so good. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. That's oh, a that's very so good, good idea. Oh, shoot. Yeah, that's too good. We're going to have to use that. Yeah, we'll have to definitely uh, keep that in the pocket, which is where I put it because, as you know, we've got four guests, four topics, and only 30 minutes. So it's time to kick things off. My question for you... Are you playing the new Harry Potter Wizards Unite? And did you play or are you still playing Pokemon Go? Dan Sturm, tell me about your game in life. <laughs> uh, I will just let you know that I broke out into a little bit of a cold sweat when I saw that topic in there because no, I missed all of these things culturally growing up and uh, in, in when they came back as games. Uh, I didn't play any of them. I don't play any of them. I don't know anything about Harry Potter or Pokemon. So easy answer, done. No. Um, so I think I played Harry Potter, the Wizards Unite game, about as much as I played Pokemon Go, which is to say, not very much. Uh, I downloaded it. Uh, I, you know, installed a bunch of stuff. And um, I, you know, oh, hey, there's a convenient thing to capture right near my house. Great. Oh, all those other things require walking. Eh. <laughs> uh, I keep trying to remember, like, when I'm out on a walk to do it. And then I'm like, but I'm enjoying myself on this walk. <laughs> so that seems like it would interfere with it. I don't think these games are for me. I think the Harry Potter one, despite the fact that I, I enjoy Harry Potter as a franchise, the game, I oh God, I feel so old. I see, like the game it just looks so complicated. There's all these buttons <laughs> and things. Um, I I find it a little overwhelming. It's not really too many things to collect, and like that makes me anxious more than excited. Uh, so yeah, for me, I don't think these are my types of games. But I I was impressed with the production quality of the Harry Potter one. It looked it looked pretty schmancy, and I did enjoy making my profile. Um, you can find my wizard's name is, uh, uh, shoot, I can't try to remember. It's, uh, I think it's Radius Fizzle. I think that's my <laughs> nice. wizard's name. So uh, that's my favorite part so far. I did not get to play Pokemon Go because at the time I was living in, uh, the far east suburbs of Phoenix and, the the landmark database didn't recognize the place I lived. It was like, oh, this is an orange grove. There's nothing here. And so, like, there was no point in me playing. I have been playing Harry Potter Wizards Unite. Um, it is complicated. The tutorial is not super great. Um, 
So I'm not, I'm not really far in it, but my neighborhood has so much stuff in it now here, you know, like downtown Seattle. And so when I go out and walk, there's stuff everywhere. In fact, um, my husband is getting a little bit frustrated because I'm like capturing creatures and artifacts and stuff. And he's like, I really just want to get to where we're going. Um, I'm not, it's about not the journey, obs- not the destination. It, right. And my journey is full of magic. Um, I'm not super in love with it and I, I'm not, I'm not sure why, but I am sticking with it just to kind of see what it's about and where it goes. Um, I'm looking forward to updates where, you know, I don't have to have my, my phone unlocked with the app running to get credit for walking, um, which is, which was an issue with Pokemon Go in the beginning too. So um, they've added improvements to Pokemon Go over time. I'm hoping they do with Harry Potter Wizards Unite. Um, I also do want to mention that um, there's a whole mess with JK Rowling and I acknowledge that she's kind of a mess. So for people listening who are like, oh my God, you're playing Harry Potter, Harry Potter Go, as I call it, and supporting JK Rowling. Like I know that that's like a ball of ick um, that I'm sorting through right now. So yeah, um, well put there. So we've definitely got two folks not at all interested. One folk who is is uh, playing the game. Uh, for me, I have been enjoying playing this one. I I didn't really play Pokemon Go um, all that much. I found it was kind of uh, a little too repetitive, which I think is what has been fixed with this one. There's a lot more to do in it, and you know you can brew potions and and there are like combats and all this other stuff. And I know Pokemon Go added a lot of those features later on, but it didn't pick up my interest in time before those features were added. So I am a latecomer to the Harry Potter franchise because when it was like a cultural big thing, I was not allowed to partake in Harry Potter and wizardry and witchcraft and all that stuff at the time. So I didn't really like get to have that experience then. And so coming into those movies later on um, and enjoying the, you know, the the books, the movies and, and things like that, it, of course, was something that I wanted to uh, check out and play, and I've been enjoying it. But I need to, <laughs> I need to find places where there are more things to catch because around me there aren't that many. I'm not in an orange grove, but I'm also not uh, not seeing too many of the uh, traces around me, as they're called. Uh, thank you all. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I need to do. Uh, Thank you all for your answers there. And let's go to our next topic, which comes from Dan Sturm. I feel like this might dovetail with the the Harry Potter conversation. But my question is, uh, are you embarrassed by any of the technology that you use? Um, I'm thinking more public usage. uh, Because I recently discovered that, like, if I'm out in public shazamming a song or talking into my watch to send a text message to my wife and somebody sees me or looks at me, I just feel shame, just endless shame. And uh, I'm not entirely certain why. Maybe it's because, you know, technology is still kind of new and hasn't, you know, permeated every single aspect of our culture. Uh, and I'm curious if there's any technology you use that is embarrassing or, or if you feel the same way or if I'm just uh, a little weird over here. No, you're you're not weird. And I think moreover, it's not just about things that are necessarily new, uh, because how you described is how I feel whenever I take a phone call in public. Like, <laughs> like my mom will call while I'll be at a coffee shop and I'll just have to like speak very quietly because I just don't want to bother anyone who's sitting around with me. Like, I've never loved the idea of of people listening to my part of the conversation, not necessarily because 
I care that they hear what I'm saying. Although there's definitely, we've all been in those situations where somebody's having a very loud conversation about something and you're like, dude, that should probably be private, right? Like you're talking to your like doctor about medical test results loudly in public or something. Um, I, I don't like anything that it feels disruptive to other people. And so I feel like like Siri is a good example of that. Like Siri is definitely something I don't use when I'm in public. But I don't have it. Mm, I was about to say I don't have any hesitancy about using Shazam, which I've definitely done. But I definitely try to be surreptitious about it. It's not like I'm going like holding my phone up to the speaker, <laughs> right? Like I'm sitting there quietly being like, oh, I hope it can hear well enough. So I guess the answer is anything for me that feels like it might be disruptive to people around me or might draw undue attention to myself. Yes, yes, I do feel some shame about that. So you're not alone. Yeah, kind of the same for me. I don't like taking calls, especially if I'm not holding the phone to my head. I still suffer from that like mid 2000s. Are they talking to themselves or do they have a Bluetooth, <laughs> Bluetooth headset on, in? Um, so I, yeah, I'm kind of with Dan. It's It's about disruption. I get really unreasonably angry with people in coffee shops. Like sometimes I'll go into a Starbucks and someone will be sitting there with a, their phone on speaker having a conversation. Ah, it's like, why are you, no, what, terrible. what are you even doing right now? Um, so for me, it's, it's a lot about like disruption, but also kind of as, as outspoken and open as I am on the internet, there's some, um, there's like a buffer there. Whereas if you're talking to, like, if I'm talking to my mom about, I had to call her because I was having a panic attack the other day and I needed someone to talk me through it. And like, I don't want other people to hear that, you know? I mean, I guess it's better for me to be on the phone having a panic attack than like, crying and hyperventilating by myself. I don't know, but um yeah, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not a big like use technology or talk to technology in public type person even though I really loved like get smart when I was little and like the shoe phones and that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um I do use Siri like when I'm grocery shopping to pull up my shopping list and reminders. I do it really loudly so people know exactly what I'm doing <laughs> while I'm talking to my phone. Um but yeah, that's that's kind of where I am and I I acknowledge it's not super rational. It's just a lot of weird brain stuff, I guess. Oh boy. Uh so for me, I I feel a lot of these things. I I'm not afraid to like use or I'm not I shouldn't say afraid. I'm not embarrassed to use Siri dictation in public, but I feel what Aline's talking about where like you make it very clear that's what you're doing. Um I don't mind talking on the phone in public as long as, again, it's kind of a thing that people can see. So like white AirPods in the ears against my dark skin really shows or if I'm like, I, I would never wear like very uh, sneaky headphones or something like that where, where someone couldn't tell if I was talking to them or talking uh, on the phone. Now, here's the issue that brings up uh, just just uh, some some anxiety that I have in my relationship. My partner is a big loves to talk via FaceTime. I just ge oh generally hate FaceTime. I hate phone calls. I hate any kind of that kind of thing in the first place. But this guy will take FaceTimes like while we're standing in a grocery line or while we're out and about or like we're leaving 
<laughs> we're leaving the public restroom and someone calls him on FaceTime and he's like answering it as we're walking out the bathroom door. No. And I'm like, why are you doing this? No. This is not okay. So I get embarrassed about someone else using the technology in public more so than myself. And when I am in public and I get like a FaceTime from him, heck no, I'm not FaceTiming while I'm in... Uh, Michael's craft store or, or high V or something, <laughs> I will automatically switch that to like FaceTime audio or hang up on the FaceTime call and call him back over voice call. Cause you're not, that's not, that's not happening. So, uh, some, some, I don't know what to call that. Uh, vicarious embarrassment for sure. Uh, Dan, any last thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, first of all, let me say, I for some reason, I'm the opposite of you guys when it comes to using Siri in public, uh, because I don't want people to know what I'm doing. But uh, I, I love the, the raise to Siri on my watch. So I love the ability to just raise my wrist to my face and just like quietly whisper something into the microphone and have it do something. But then I keep walking and then it goes, okay, I'll send this very loudly. And I'm like, oh, God, please don't do that. Um, but in thinking about why I feel this way, because I have no compunction about like using my phone in public, I think it's just that like it's pretty well established that if somebody's using a phone in public, you don't like leer over their shoulder and see what they're doing. That's kind of an invasion of privacy. And I think uh, some of these other things, um, it just makes it a little too clear to people around me what I'm doing and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Like with the Shazam thing, it's not that like, oh, this is a cool song. I wonder what it is. It's like, I know what this song is. I just, I haven't downloaded it and I want Shazam to automatically put it in my Apple Music library. So I'm Shazamming it and then somebody looks at me and I'm like, no, I, let me explain. I know what this song is. I swear. I'm not like, I understand music. It's okay. Like, and I don't have time to explain that to people and that would be really weird if I tried. So it's just a lot of, uh, uh, me being, uh, overly self-conscious about stuff, but I don't know. That's, I don't think that's a solvable problem. That's a me problem. <laughs> uh, that's an us problem, but. It is halftime, and that is an us solution. Folks, I am excited to tell you about Apollo, who brings you this episode of Clockwise. Apollo is a third-party iOS app for Reddit, the discussion website frequently called the front page of the internet. The Apollo app is made by one indie developer who was a former Apple employee, and this person has spent years making a Reddit app they felt perfectly that they felt was perfectly at home on iOS. Apollo makes browsing Reddit easy with a beautifully smooth experience, plus customizable gestures, fast loading pages, a supercharged media viewer experience, which is important, a jump bar for quickly jumping between subreddits, a powerful full markdown editor, and so much more. Apollo is already used and loved by people all over the internet. Mac Rumors, Mac Stories, iMore, and many more have all praised Apollo. And John Gruber of Daring Fireball has said... Quote, you are nuts if you don't try Apollo. So go download Apollo right now for free. Just go to apolloapp.io slash clockwise. That's apolloapp.io, A-P-O-L-L-O-A-P-P dot I-O slash clockwise. It's free, but if you want to upgrade to the pro version, it's only a few bucks. Once again, that's apolloapp.io slash clockwise. Go there now. Download it for free. Lose yourself in a few interesting subreddits. Get a smoother, more powerful, more enjoyable browsing experience. I've used Apollo for a long time and really do enjoy it. Uh, our thanks to Apollo for their support of Clockwise and all of Relay FM. Let's move on to our next topic, Dan. Well, uh, I, Apple betas have reached the public beta status. So my question for you folks is, have you delved into any of these? Which ones, if you have, and what are your brief experiences? And if not, what are you, what are you waiting for, Aline? Nope. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I never, ever, ever use macOS betas for podcasting purposes. In fact, I wait until at least a month after the official OS release to update my Macs just because I've had things go really haywire um, on my Mac. Um, and it's important to me to be able to podcast. Um, iOS, I usually wait until, um, like developer beta four. So public beta two or three. I'm probably going to wait even longer this year just because I'm seeing a lot of developers who are like, no, seriously, do not install the public beta. It's our app will break. If you rely on our app, it's bad news. And so I think I'm just going to wait. There aren't for business, for my business purposes, there aren't a lot of new things with the app store or anything that I need to know about. So I don't need to have a sacrificial device or anything. So I'm just going to hang in there until, you know, maybe the first, first of August, middle of August, um, unless things really, really solidify between now and then. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, like betas and trying betas and seeing how they work. I'm with you on the Mac OS beta because you, this is a bread and butter and got to make sure that the podcasts can podcast. But as for the rest of it, download it to my phone, download it to my Apple TVs, download it to my iPad. I want it all and I want it now. Um, I have been enjoying trying out the betas since even before the public beta came out with the developer betas. In fact, the first developer beta, I feel, was a lot less rough than the update to said beta, which has brought on more issues than has fixed things, it seems. Um, I always try to get some friends or family to check out the public betas for iOS or or iPad OS in this case, um, because again, it's interesting seeing how their daily experiences can lead to um, you know different questions, complaints, concerns, or ideas that they might have, and then helping them sort of get that figured out and sending in that information to Apple. If so, um, so that's always been fun for me. So I, I'm a bit of a public beta advocate in that way, uh, but yeah, I have been delving and diving and digging into the betas. Thanks for asking, Dan. Now, Mr. Sturm, what about you? Uh, I have not yet dug in this year. Um, I am similar to you folks in that I will never do uh, Mac OS betas because I have uh, some very specific applications that I can't afford to have break. And also I have an absurd amount of customizations with weird key binding junk that I don't want to break. So I don't mess with that. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of iOS betas because uh, I love all the new features and I want them. But uh, in terms of what am I waiting for, um, I'm waiting for Jason Snell and Marco Arment to tweet that it's okay because they were very, <laughs> very adamant on Twitter the other day that no, the public betas are not ready. So I guess, you know, a tweet storm about, all right, maybe it's okay now would be helpful because uh, I want some dark mode stuff and some other fun features that I've already forgotten what they are. But I'm okay with sacrificing my phone because I don't really care that much. So I'm waiting for that. Yeah, I so I have like a like a cascading order for which I put things on beta betas on devices. And the my iPad's always the first one to go to beta because I don't rely on it. First one to go. Um, I, I don't rely on it enough uh, that I feel like, you know, if something goes wrong, I'll be okay. And I have installed uh, the iPad OS beta the other day and I've been playing around with that. Um, 
I don't know. I haven't felt so far like it's any buggier than a lot of betas I've used in the past. There are certainly bugs, but I wouldn't say it's like catastrophic. But then again, I don't rely on my iPad to get work done, so it's not that big a deal. I've been debating doing the uh, uh, Catalina install on my laptop, but there I am a little more circumspect there, mainly because I'm working on a book manuscript right now that's under deadline, and if I break Scrivener, I will be very, very sad. So uh, I might install it on a separate drive or something like that, just to give a chance to take a take it for a whirl. Um, and my phone is the one, uh, my phone and my iMac are the ones that I hold off on my iMac because it is my work machine. And if I can't produce podcasts and stuff, then bad things happen. Like, you know, I don't make any money and then I can't eat, um, my iPhone because it goes with me everywhere. And it's much riskier, especially right now, as I will be traveling at the end of next month to a couple con- different countries. I feel like I don't really want to entrust my phone to beta software before I go abroad. That seems like a possible mistake. Maybe? I don't know. Uh, so I will probably install the the public betas on at least a couple more of those devices, but maybe not until closer towards the end of August. So, uh, But right now, I'm enjoying my, my experience in iPadOS, and I look forward to it uh, continuing to improve to the point where it's definitely more stable than it is now. All right, thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our last topic today, which comes from Aline. So I've really been trying, but due due to some legacy things I need to deal with regularly, I can't rely on the iPad to be like a primary work machine for me. Um, So I've been thinking about something I swore I would never, ever, ever, ever again do. I'm thinking about going back to a multi-Mac lifestyle. And in this scenario, I'd have a Mac mini kind of at my desk here for podcasting, Twitch streaming, and work because I can get an eGPU for it, which will be awesome for gaming. Um, and then having a 12-inch MacBook to take with me when I'm working out and about, I can just um, gently toss it into my purse and carry it around. Um, so I'm wondering if, if y'all, Dan, I just heard you are currently living the multi-Mac life. Um, and what are your tips and tricks for embarking upon it? Because it's been probably five years since I, I've tried to do this. A long time ago, I had a MacBook Pro that was a little bit older that was mine. And then my job at the time got me a MacBook Pro. And so I had two. And I basically did the same thing. I had one that was sort of locked in as the in clamshell mode as my desk computer, and then one that I took with me where I went. Um, and I think the most important thing is that that I can remember was making sure that you know the licenses that were available were ones where you could run it on more than one computer and sort of being aware of if that if you have to buy like a multi-computer license that you keep that in mind when you're trying to sort of figure out the budget for what that's going to cost you, what that's going to run. So sort of looking at your most important software and figuring out what it's going to cost or what hoops you might have to jump through. Like the Adobe subscription, if you have more than two logins and it starts to kick you out of things. And so you just need to make sure you've sort of deauthorized the right computers and authorized the right computers there. Um, other than that, it's for me, it was making sure that everything important that I worked with was in a cloud storage thing somewhere so that I could access it regardless of whether, regardless of which computer I was using. And that helped me, you know, be able to sort of pull documents back and forth without any issue uh, of transferring. Uh, Dan, tell us about your computer setup and if you've got any suggestions here. 
Uh, I do. Uh, not too dissimilar from you, but I have uh, four Macs. I have an iMac and a MacBook Pro in this room, my home office, and I have an iMac and a MacBook Pro at a another office elsewhere. Um, so the the tips, aside from the fact that I put everything I have ever done in my entire life in Dropbox, so it's everywhere, um, that, that I really rely on is I have just a very boring text file with a list of essential apps, of which I have a lot of them because uh, I like to customize the crap out of my Mac. Uh, and I, I save that as I go along because, you know, any anytime I update a computer, I immediately forget all of the stuff that was very important to me that I can't live without. So I have one painful experience of trying to rebuild a Mac from scratch and trying to remember everything. And then over the course of a week, I hit a keyboard shortcut and nothing happens. And it's like, oh, right, I forgot to install that thing. So that goes in the text file, which it sounds dumb, but I have found it incredibly useful to just fire up this text app that has, you know, 50 line items in it and say, oh, yeah, I need to do this, that and that. Um, and then, of course, things like keeping licenses either in uh, text files or PDFs that I print out when I get receipts for software. But put it all in one password. One password and Dropbox are the two places for everything. Because the, the only thing worse than like trying to use something and realizing it's not installed is uh, immediately installing it and then realizing you have no idea how to log into it because you didn't save that password or license somewhere. So um, those are the important things, I think. Uh, yeah, I, that's that's pretty much it. Dropbox, one password. And if you have like fussy installers, I save those in Dropbox too. But for the most part, the Mac App Store has been great at just saying like, what apps do I use? I open it up, I click over to the purchase tab and it's like, oh yeah, let me just click all these 30 things right here to have them install and we're good to go. Yeah, I think uh, as you guys have pointed out, the biggest problem with the multi-Mac lifestyle is making sure that everything that you want is there when you have it. Uh, I've run a laptop and a desktop for many years now. And in addition, I had a Mac Mini up until fairly recently that was sort of my canonical file server. Um, and since that has gone away, I've basically been trying to figure out how to re-architect all my data and, and make sure that it's available everywhere that I need it to be. Uh, I agree with Dan's point that Dropbox and, you know, to a lesser extent, iCloud Drive and other cloud services have made this a lot easier than it used to be. And I basically try to keep no very little data like locally on any computer uh, that is not like sort of transient right like i'm not going to sync my download folders right that's just they're basically just full of gifs uh that's basically it um I, I try to keep everything sort of in dropbox if it's important and i feel like i can't lose it but that's not always the case either because i have a ton of media for example and i don't want that on every device fortunately things like apple music and icloud photo library have made it a lot easier to make sure that you have that data available everywhere. Um, a lot of it for me is also just like, I have very distinct purposes for different computers, right? Like I do most of my, my iMac is mainly there for recording and editing podcasts. Uh, I do most of my writing on my MacBook Air just because I take it with me and I go right outside the house. Um, and so as a result, like I feel like I have a little better like division of labor in terms of what each computer is responsible for. And that means that I can have different applications or different um, different files available on each of them just because it's like, oh, I want to do this here, but I rarely want to do this thing here. So I, I'm very happy with the multiple Max lifestyle. I've, I've considered every once in a while using... Um, iCloud's document syncing it still it still freaks me out a little bit that you can like sync your documents folder it scares me but I know people who use it I know people who use it and like it um but and I and then there's an argument for like having that information available everywhere I don't want my desktop synced ever though that's terrible why would I want the same things on all my desktops I don't get that 
Yeah, I think um you've kind of all hit upon the things that are really important to me. Like I still, even though I've been on one computer for several years now, I still save pretty much everything to Dropbox Um, in addition to being uh rigorous about backups. You know, we have a Synology, we do Time Machine, I black backblaze, I have an external drive. Um, and then, you know, the redundancy of Dropbox, Dropbox is not a backup system, but it's nice to kind of have that all in there. And um, Dan, your your text file of setup stuff is actually, I use 1Password for that because 1Password is always the first app I install on any device I have. So I know that as soon as 1Password is installed, I have all of my setup instructions or all of my vital apps in this um, note in 1Password. So that's been pretty, pretty great for me. But yeah, um, now fingers crossed that the MacBook actually gets an update sometime soon. Well, folks, we have reached the end of another episode of Clockwise, but we've got to do a bonus topic. My question for you, if you could only drink one beverage for the rest of your life, what beverage would you choose? And please be specific. Dan Sturm, we'll start with you. Uh, first, I would like to say rude. This is a terrible question, but um, <laughs> I think uh, I think I have to go with uh, seltzer water because I drink an absurd amount of it already, and I would be very sad if I couldn't drink it anymore. I'm going to take Dan's answer and take it a step further. Polar orange vanilla seltzer because Ooh. it's the best. Yeah, I'm the same. It's some kind of seltzer water is is my thing. I thought a lot about this and people are probably going to say much, perhaps. That, <laughs> that can't be true. But genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, I would just choose plain water. All that's left is to thank our great guests. Dan Sturm, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. And Aline Sims, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And Micah, 300 episodes in the can. I I guess we have to come back next week for 301. Now that we have to get to 360. Thanks, Aline. Thanks, Aline. Sorry. (laughs) But until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.